Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. There we go. Sorry about that. Thanks, babe. Thank you, wife. She has many talents. That was uh, one of the least of them right there. Um, All right, so where were we? We're in a series called Found in the Way. Um, Have you guys ever heard the story of uh, William Tell? You know who William Tell is? Um, He's a a folk hero and um, kind of a legendary figure from the Middle Ages, from uh, Europe. And um, so, so here's the story of William Tell. It's not very long. I'll just tell it to you real quick. See what I did there? I'll tell it to you, the story of William Tell. Uh, so William Tell was this, um, was this uh, ranger and hunter and, and a bowman. And he uh, was good with a bow and he was a hunter. And one day he and his son were out uh, hunting in the woods and they came back to their tiny little village. Well, their village was part of a fiefdom that was ruled by an evil duke. And this duke happened to be riding through the village uh, this day with his uh, troop of soldiers. And this duke was not only evil, but very prideful, and he demanded that all of the people in his uh, little kingdom, that they kneel down when he rode by. And uh, William Tell was uh, a proud man and believed in human freedoms and such, and as the story goes, and <clears throat> refused to do so. So everybody in the village bowed down as the evil duke rode by. William Tell stood tall and did not bow. He just stood there with his son at his side. And the duke saw him, he spotted him, and, and uh, stopped his little uh, train of soldiers, and he got off his horse, and he said, you there, why didn't you bow? And he said, well, I, I bow for no man. I bow my knee only for the living God. And uh, the duke said, well, I demand that you bow right now, or there will be consequences, and he refused. And he said, he, said, he commanded his soldiers to take William Tell's son, and they took him 100 feet away and tied him to a tree and said, here's your punishment. I see that you have a bow there. You're probably a hunter. He said, here's your punishment. Um, I want you to shoot an apple off your son's head with that bow uh, 100 feet away. And uh, if you can do it successfully with one shot, you get one chance, then I'll ride away and uh, no harm, no foul. And I'm paraphrasing now. And um, he said, and, and you'll be free to go. Um, that's your punishment. And William Tell, at first he refused. He said, I won't do it. You'll have to kill me. And his son said, no, Dad, I have faith in you. I know that you can do this. Um, make the shot. So William Tell, <clears throat> he reached into his quiver, and he t- pulled out two arrows, and he stuck them into the ground. And then he pulled the first of those arrows, and he drew back his bow, and he breathed in, breathed out, and then released the arrow. And he shot the apple right through uh, the middle of the apple in the first shot and knocked the apple off his son's head. And the duke said, that was amazing. I really didn't see that coming. You know, I just thought you were just a humble, uh, uneducated peasant, uneducated in the arts of war and, uh, uh, you know, skilled bowmanship. Um, he said, you know, as per our agreement, I'm going to ride on and you're, you're free to go. I just have one question. What was the second arrow for? He said, well, that, sir, was uh, for you if I had missed with the first one, right? And so um, this is a, it's a great story. I mean, I, it's part of uh, European folklore. I enjoyed that story when I was a kid. 
But there's, a, there's something happening in that story, and that is that the, uh, that speaks to kind of a deeper theme that you see in a lot of these European folk tales, where, where there's, there's this, the, the upper class, the ruling class, and how they constantly misjudge um, the, the lower class and the working class. And, and that's what happened. The Duke looked at this guy and just thought, he's a peasant. He doesn't, you know, he's going he's gonna to accidentally shoot his son with the arrow and, you know, it'll be awful and, and everyone will know that I'm in charge and no one crosses me, right? Because he misjudged this, this man. And, and, and so that, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Have you, ever, have you ever passed judgment on someone and then regretted it later? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I, I think we all have at some point. You, you know, you, you judge a book entirely by its cover, Right. And, and then later you, you go, oh, man, I just, I didn't have the context. I didn't know that person well enough. And I feel, you know, I, I can think of some, some times where I've done that and I, you know, felt embarrassed afterwards for, for having done that. Today we're in Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bible with you, you might want to open it up. We're, we're in Matthew chapter 7. This is verse 1 through 6. So the, the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the greatest sermon in all of human history, takes place in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we're we're kind of uh, nearing the end of it here. And this is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. That's where we'll be. The first line of this part of the sermon that we're looking at today, this passage, verse 1 in chapter 7, is probably one of the most quoted verses by people who are not Christians outside of the church. It's probably one of the most quoted verses. It's this line right here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. You've probably heard that quoted, right, in some kind of context. Particularly, um, I've heard people say this, as soon as a Christian opens their mouth to say anything about any kind of uh, uh, moral situation, someone says, well, don't judge unless you want to be judged, right? Or, or the, uh, the um, New King James Version or the King James Version, judge not lest ye be judged. You're probably used to hearing that, right? Often quoted, also often misunderstood. Um, and in that spirit, I thought I would uh, play a little game with you to start off with. I have um, some little phrases that are either verses of the Bible or they're not. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say them, and then you guys will have to vote and see, is this, is this in the Bible? And there's no cheating, by the way. No, no looking it up. No, don't, you can't Google it. <clears throat> you guys ready to play this game? It's a high-stakes game. There's something at the end. All right. You guys ready? Here's the first one. Here's the first one. It's to thine own self be true. Is that, a, is that, a, is that, is that in the Bible? No, Shakespeare. No? <laughs> Shakespeare, okay. That's right. That's not in the Bible. You guys are absolutely correct. Not in the Bible, but it gets quoted like a verse all the time. How about this, this one here? This too shall pass. Is that in the Bible? I heard a couple yeses, a couple noes. Kind of mixed. This is, uh, this is actually the famous coach Mike Ditka. Yeah, when he was fired from his coaching job with the Chicago Bears, he told the media uh, in the press release, he said, as cr Scripture says, this too shall pass. As it turns out, that's not in the Bible. He just made that up. How about this one? Cleanliness is next to godliness. If you're my mom, this might as well be in the Bible. No? Are we giving that one a pass? Yeah, that's not, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. How about this one? God will, now, now, pay attention, because this is one that gets quoted a lot, actually. I've heard, this, I've heard this just this year. God will not give you more than you can handle. No. Is that in the Bible? No? no? 
That's not in the Bible? It is? Yes? No? That's totally not in the Bible. That's not, a, that's not at all true. Come on. If that was true, what would we need him for, right? Come on. He gives, he gives me more than I can handle all the time. <clears throat> How about number five? God helps those that help themselves. Is that in the Bible? God helps those that help themselves. You know, in Romans 5, 8, it says, While we were still sinners and unable to help ourselves, Christ died for us. Thank God for that, right? Thank God for that. He helped us when we were helpless. How about this one? This, okay, this is a tricky one. This is a tricky one. Money is the root of all evil. Is that in the Bible? Oh, there we go. He got it. Oh, man. See, it's the, this, this is how it gets quoted all the time. Money is the root of all evil. In fact, that's uh, on one of the tip jars at a local coffee shop. Um, money is the root of all evil. It's actually the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. That was, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. That's actually in uh, Matthew chapter 6. How about uh, a couple more? With, with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Did you read that on a fortune cookie recently? With much wisdom comes much sorrow. Is that in the Bible? Ecclesiastes. Yes, it is. All right, who said that? Yeah, look at you. You got it. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's true. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. That is definitely in the Bible. How about this one? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Anyone hear that one before? Love the sinner, hate the sin? Maybe the concept, but that is, that is definitely not in the Bible. Okay, last one. Last one. God works in mysterious ways. I think he does work in mysterious ways. It does not say that anywhere in the Bible, though. That's, that's not in the Bible. You guys did, you guys did really good. So here, here it is. A hundred points for all of you. You get a hundred points. <laughs> did good. Yep, you did good. All right, let's, let's read our passage. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. Let's, <clears throat> let's read this. Um, I'll read this out loud, and you guys can, can read along if you like. We'll have it up on the screen as well. All right, here we go. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's a gnarly little bit of scripture, isn't it? This is what Jesus is doing. Um, he, he, we've reached, reached the section of the Sermon on the Mount where he is appealing to the motif of wisdom literature. So he's, he has truth he wants to bring, and he's using a familiar vehicle to do it, familiar to the first century audience that he was speaking to. Wisdom literature was very popular with the first century Jews. Uh, you know, your, your Proverbs, your Psalms, Ecclesiastes. Uh, these types of literature were read and repeated and memorized all the time. And he's using that framework. He's, he's, he's creating something. He's, he's using words that sound very much like the, the rhythm of wisdom literature in order to do something really important. Just like in the, the moral of that story about, about William Tell that I told you, 
you know, wisdom would say, be careful not to judge a person too early before you really know what you're talking about. That's, that's just wisdom. That's, that's practical. And, and that's in what Jesus is saying. But is that all that's going on? Is this just Jesus imparting practical wisdom to his followers? Well, there is practical wisdom, but there's something else happening. There's something much, much deeper that is, that is traveling along in this vehicle of wisdom literature that we, if we're, if we're wise, if we have uh, ears to hear, then we'll, we'll, we'll open up this vehicle and check and see what, what is traveling along inside this wisdom. Now, <clears throat> the, the way this verse is, the, the first line is often um, misunderstood is that we shouldn't judge at all. Don't, don't judge unless you want to be judged, right? Um, in other words, don't, don't judge is what people are often saying when they're quoting that. But is this a blanket prohibition against judgment of any kind? No, no. How, how do we know that? Because this, this passage sits alongside a whole group of other scriptures that, that in fact tell us precisely what kind of judgment we're supposed to exercise and when and how and in what ways. So this isn't a blanket prohibition against judgment. Check this out. This is Paul writing in Romans. He says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, so in other words, in the context of the things that I've been forgiven to you of, let me tell you this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with, with what? With sober judgment. So in fact, we are supposed to exercise judgment first and foremost on who? On ourselves. To think of ourselves soberly and, and not in a way that's more highly than we ought to in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Here's this one from the Gospel of John. This is Jesus. He says, stop, stop judging by mere appearances, but, but check this out, but instead judge correctly. So, so he's not telling us don't judge or don't use exercise judgment, right? In fact, he tells us how to do it. First, this is 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, the Apostle uh, John, he writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. By the way, <clears throat> John uses very spiritual kind of lofty language, but when he says spirit, he means every um, feeling or thought or idea that enters into your head. You know, making decisions is hard, isn't it? I mean, making big decisions is really challenging. You know, if you have a lot of life decisions and, and you're trying to figure out, well, what's the right thing? What, what does God want me to do? What, what, what is he saying to me? And and What's his will for my life? These are really challenging things that all of us struggle with. And this is what John says about it. Do not, do not believe every spirit and what he's saying, every idea, every notion that pops in your head. Don't, don't immediately ascribe them uh, value, but test those things, those thoughts, those feelings, those spirits, to see whether they are from God. So he, he's, he's saying, exercise your judgment. He says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, many people before you have gone on and gotten it terribly wrong. So be cautious, be careful in your thinking. If, if an idea, a thought, a feeling, a persuasion enters into your being, test it. It's okay to do that. You don't have to just follow every whim that enters into your, your mind. That's pretty good. It's okay to say, yeah, amen, Chris. That's, that's good. That's really good stuff. Um, the word judge that is being used here, that Jesus is using in our passage today, is a Greek word, krino. It means, it's, 
is different than the kind of judgment we're talking about right now where we're saying, uh, making decisions. This kind of judgment that Jesus is appealing to is, is very specific. It's, it's like in a courtroom. It's to condemn. It's, it's to draw a conclusion. It's to, to judge someone's motives. That's the kind of judgment he's talking about. You know, have you, have you guys ever um, read from the message? It's a transliteration. It's not, it's not scripture. It's, it's a paraphrasing of scripture. And sometimes it's helpful um, to look at it and, and kind of jar us a little bit to, to look at and see how someone might um, paraphrase what is being read in the scriptures. And, and in the message version of this, it says this. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. This is talking about behavior, right? It's talking about the way we interact with one another, the way we treat each other. So what is Jesus wanting of us with all of this talk about judgment? Um, you know, Jesus had some, some stepbrothers, right? So, he, um, so Joseph and Mary had other children besides Jesus, and a couple of his brothers in particular are mentioned in the Gospels. And they were, they were not followers of Jesus while he was alive. James in particular, um, we don't know a lot about it, but for some reason he rejected the idea that Jesus was the Messiah uh, while he was alive. But, and, and this kind of makes sense when you think about it. Like if you have a brother, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, you're not, dude. Uh, sorry. Like, we used to play soccer together, and you're, you, you're definitely not the Messiah. Um, but, but after Jesus died and then was resurrected and seen by all of his followers, James came to believe. And he, he writes this really amazing letter to the early church. It's called, appropriately, James. And uh, it's good. And James comments on a lot of the teaching that Jesus did while he was alive. So he may have rejected him when he was alive, but he was listening. He was paying attention. Because check out, this is James commenting on the teaching of Jesus in James chapter 4, verse 11. He says this, and I, and I think in this context, we can interpret this as James writing directly to us, followers of Jesus. All right, so this is for us. Let's, let's listen to this. This is James chapter 4, verse 11. He says this, brothers and sisters, that's us, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. In other words, the, the order in which um, God has arranged things. When you judge the law, that order that God has arranged, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. In other words, when you mistreat each other, when you slander each other, when you're judging your brother and your sister, you're messing the whole thing up, right? You're messing up the whole system. There's only one lawgiver, and there's only one judge. And the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, here's what's happening in this Sermon on the Mount. Something is being built right before our eyes. Something is being, Jesus is constructing something. And he's using all of these different familiar ways of speaking, like the wisdom literature, for example. And he's using these things to build something right in front of us. This first century community of of, of Jesus' followers um, was, was being presented with something that was brand new. He's creating something. And part of that something is a model of behavior. He's returning us back to an ideal, a design. He's leaving a blueprint is what he's doing. 
And this is what this model leads us to. If you like to take notes or make little jot down things that are being said in the sermon, you might want to jot these down. This is what this, this model is leading us to, these, these two things. One is he's leading us to let go of even our perceived right to have enemies. Do you have enemies? Most of us would say no. Oh, no, no, we don't. I don't have, I don't have enemies. But if you, there we go, there's an honest answer. But if you think about the way we talk about certain people, certain times, certain groups, the way some people behave and act in the world, the way we talk about it, we really do. We do. We create enemies. Um, it's actually very natural to us as human beings to divide into categories, friends and enemies. It's helpful because it helps us to know how to behave towards those people. But Jesus is sweeping the board. And he's saying, I'm building something new, and I want you to listen. Let's jump back for just a second. Early in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. I'm going to remind us of this. We, we talked about this a couple months ago in chapter 5, verse 44. He says, but I tell you, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I think when we hear that, love your enemies, we interpret it um, in this way where we go, oh, this is, this is yeah, this is pretty radical stuff. Um, this is where, where people do wrong to us, and then we don't return the favor with equally wrong things. We um, show them kindness. Totally, that's true. It's actually way more radical than that, though. Because what he's doing is he's setting up a contradiction. Love your enemies. <clears throat> but to keep someone in the category of enemy, someone who's wronged us, someone who thinks so radically different than us that we cannot be in relationship with them, and he's saying to love them, we actually can't do that. You can't love your enemies. In order to love people who are currently your enemies, you have to move them into a new category of friend. So when he says love your enemies, he's saying have no enemies. Now, that's radical. That's radical because we need these categories. We want these categories because it helps us to know how to relate to people. Are you someone that's crossed me? Okay, I'm going to be careful around you in the future. I'm going to make sure that I don't treat you in a way that gives you the impression that I trust you in any way. Right? Right? And Jesus is saying, do away with those categories. When we allow ourselves enemies, when we allow ourselves that privilege, and it is a privilege to have enemies, everything to us feels like a conspiracy with that person. We imagine things that we, we don't actually know. We do this. We build a story in our head about that person or those people. I was having a conversation over Thanksgiving with, you know, the thing about Thanksgiving that's... Uh, it's such a great opportunity to have conversations with family that you otherwise wouldn't get to have, you know? Uh, and, um, you know, one, um, I, I was, you know, you're, I was talking with some, I'm realizing this is on live stream and someone could be listening. So, uh, <laughs> let me change gears. I was having a conversation with a person, just some random person. And anyway, this person said, uh, said, oh, you know, they're always doing that. That group has an agenda. Have you heard someone say that? That group has an agenda. 
Of course they do. We all, every human being has an agenda. We all wake up in the morning wanting things and wanting to accomplish things. It's not wrong that someone that thinks or that has the audacity to believe differently than us has an agenda in the world to accomplish things. That's not wrong. Why would we judge them for that? It, it's okay to believe different things and not have to categorize someone that believes differently than us as an enemy. They can be our friend. Did you know that? Jesus is building something radically different. He's saying, I want you to change your set of categories. Going back to Jesus' uh, half-brother James, here's what he says about that. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what do we do with that? We want to be a, a people who repents and shows mercy before, before taking someone to task with our words. Right? And, and here's what you find. It's very interesting. As I get older and I practice this more and more, it's interesting how a repentant and humble heart takes away the desire to correct people. If, if you have that, or you see someone in the wrong and you go, oh, I got to correct that. I got to say something. I got I to let them know that they're in the wrong. If you first make sure that you're in repentance and your heart is humbled, all of a sudden the desire to do anything about their actions and their behavior just shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And really then, the only opportunities where you speak are where someone is doing harm to someone else. And we lose all of that desire to just unload on people, right? So this is, our, this is kind of our, um, if you're jotting things down, this is our main point today, that the way of Jesus leads us to care for one another like he intended. You know, he, he, Jesus is teaching us how to care for one another with grace and with wisdom and with mercy. He said, remember right there in the passage, he said, if you do this, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So th this isn't, again, this isn't, uh, uh, don't, don't judge. He's saying, Make yourself right. And then you'll do it out of a sense of caring, out of a sense of love, out of a sense of mercy. You'll sit down with that person. You'll walk with them. You'll have three meals with them before you ever bring it up. And then when you do, it'll be so motivated by love that they'll receive it as love. Paul talks about this in Galatians when he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, in other words, if someone is uh, stuck in a pattern of mistakes, you who live by the Spirit, in other words, you who are found in the way of Jesus, should, listen, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you might also be tempted. Be humble. Be in repentance. And then go to your brother or your sister. Jesus intended his people to look after one another. That's what he was building. We're not meant to just kind of live these solo individual lives and then just kind of like gather in one spot and hey yay Jesus you know and sing songs and then go back to our lives we're meant to be in each other's lives it was never his intention that this would happen in some kind of hierarchical fashion this is not a top-down model he keep he continually hear this term brothers and sisters this is what brothers and sisters in Christ do for one another we love each other we care for each other we look out for each other We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, 
we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831 800 Thanks again for tuning in.